I was first intrigued by Psalm 15 when I was about 16 years old. It was David's questions in verse 1 that grabbed my attention. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Just the fact that David recognized that God had a tabernacle. By the way, that God's tabernacle is not talking about the Old Testament tabernacle. He's talking about God where you live, and he's not talking about heaven either. He's talking about living with God every day. Do you understand you can live with God every day? Let me give you the New Testament equivalent of that. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, me with God, God with me. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. You're living in the same place where God lives. Give me another New Testament equivalent. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, living where God lives. And the New Testament is full of examples and invitations for God's children to live where God lives. And David says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? These are not two different places that he's describing. Well, there's his tabernacle down here on the left. Then you go a little farther down the right is his holy hill. No, there's two, two, one place he's describing in two different ways. So notice that the place where God lives is described as God's holy hill. God's holy hill. The word holy, by the way, just means set apart. It's it's different. It's it's set apart. Okay? This building, there's there's nothing special about this building. The same sheetrock that makes these walls could also be used at the tavern down the street to put the walls in there. The same bulbs that are in these sockets could very well be the same bulbs that are, <coughs> excuse me, that are in a, uh, the dining room of, of the uh, amber room next door. There's nothing sacred about these materials, about this building. What is sacred about this place is that this is the place that we have set apart to worship the Lord. And that's why, no, we're never going to rent this building out to somebody who's going to come in here and use it for drinking and uh, dancing and so forth. There was a time when I first started Calvary Baptist Church that uh, we would uh, meet uh, in a place that was used on Saturday nights for drinking and dancing, but that was a little different. We didn't own that building, and we didn't have the right to say this place is set apart for God, but I'll tell you what, on Sunday morning it became sacred, it became holy, it was set apart for God. So the word holy means set apart for God. And the place where God lives is set apart for God. Listen, God is omnipresent. Yes, God has the ability to be everywhere, but don't think for a second that that means that just because God has the ability to be anywhere and everywhere, don't think for a second that 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 means that God is, his presence is in the nightclub just like it is in the sanctuary, what we call the sanctuary. I love the name that, that uh, Brother Dalton uh, uses, the meeting house. I like that because the church, you're the church. You're the called out assembly. You are the church. This is the meeting house. But uh, 
that's different, different uh, subject altogether. But uh, don't think for a second that God's presence, uh, hey, even if for some crazy reason the nightclub or the movie house, the theater was filled with all Christians on, in one night, don't think for a second that God's presence is there like it is in the local church when God's people gather. Just because God's omnipresent, that's not, that's not the case. Okay, all that to say, holy means set apart. Set apart for God. And David said, who can live? Who lives where you live, God? Who lives in your tabernacle? Who dwells? That means staying there all the time. In your Holy hill. Does that question not intrigue you? Who is permitted to live where God lives? I want you to notice several things about these two questions. First of all, holiness is where God lives. I hate it that we have taken that word holy to mean something negative. It has a negative connotation even among good Christians. You know, I don't get all holy on you. Well, why not? To be holy simply means to live where God lives. Why do you not want to get all holy on us? Why do we use that as a negative word? Satan loves it when we take positive things and put them in a negative light. It's what he did with Eve. It's what he does every time he gets the chance. And he loves it when Christians say, well, you know, I don't want to get all holy. No, let's, let's get all holy. Holiness is where God's, God lives. I want you to notice also, holiness is a place where I can live. God said not only in the, New, the Old Testament, but in the New, be ye holy as I am holy. Holiness is where God lives, but it's also a place where I can live. Holiness is not a drudgery. It's not a bore. Holiness isn't a drag. It's not a chore. Holiness is where I can live if I choose to. Holiness is an opportunity. Holiness is a privilege. I love it that we live in a hilly part of the country, especially when I come back from driving through uh, Indiana and Ohio, you know. I love it when I get home and there's, there's hills. Yeah, that makes it a little tougher when there's snow outside, but, but that's okay. I live with that. But one of the things about hills, there's, there's two specific places between here and my house where when you're driving along, and especially at night, <coughs> you see <coughs> lights <coughs> of one house on a hilltop. And, and always when, when you, you see it, when I see it, I go, man, Number one, first question, I wonder who lives up there. I wonder where that house is. I wonder who lives up there. And then once in a while I get adventurous and I say, I wonder how you get up there. Now, I'm not going to go up and creep on them and go up in their driveway or anything, but I at least want to see well, how do you get up there. You ever, if you're, if you're coming up uh, 684 between um, exit four and exit three. Actually, if you're coming north, it's between exit three and exit four, that big hill before you get to the Mount Kisco exit. And you look off to your left and down, there's, there's water down there. But up on the hill, there's two of the most massive 
mansions that you will ever see in your life. And I can't help when I drive up there to look up there and and say, man, I, I wonder, number one, who lives up there? Number two, how do you get up there? That's all David's saying here. Who? Lord, who can abide in thy tabernacle? Who can dwell in your holy hill? Who can live where you live? You know, by the grace of God, I did the same thing when I was a boy. I'd look at the life of my pastor, Pastor Earl Eastwood, and I'd say, man, who can live up there where he lives? But it wasn't just a pastor thing. I, I'd, uh, I'd look at our assistant pastor, Pastor Dale Bertalovitz, and say, man, who, who lives? Who, who lives in that place where he does, where he knows the Lord and he loves the Lord and he has the joy of the Lord? And I couldn't ever imagine my pastors doing anything bad. I remember thinking as a kid, what sin could they, you know, I hear them say, we're all sinners, we all, what sins could they possibly commit? But it wasn't just pastors, it was, it was uh, uh, our, the chairman of our deacon board, Mr. Pinckney. <coughs> Mr. Pinckney, you know, I said this morning I arrived and, you know, my father's up uh, sweeping off the, the roof of the, of the bus. That is exactly the kind of thing that Mr. Pinckney would have been doing. Mr. Pinckney was always at the church when we got there, and we got there early. We, we'd get there 15 minutes, 30 minutes early, and Mr. Pinckney would be there before us, and so would, so would the pastors. And he was just always, when there was a problem, he was there. When there was a need, he was there. When there wasn't a need, he was there. He was just always there. And I'd look at Mr. Pinckney. We'd a lot of times go over to his house for ice cream after the, after the service, and I would get to go into, uh, he owned the only farm repair uh, company anywhere around. And I used, to, I used to love when I'd go over for uh, ice cream and, and I'd be allowed to go into their showroom there. And in the showroom for their tractor supply company, they would have some toy tractors. And I used to go in there and look. It'd be like going to the toy store, you know. And I'd come out and I would lay down some really heavy hints to Mr. Pinkney about, boy, if only I had a John Deere tractor in my sandbox. I, it would transform my life, you know, and... Didn't always work, but sometimes it did. Sometimes I'd walk home and, you know, uh, walk home with a with a new a new plow or a new uh, harrow, I had a, I, and I would turn my sandbox from a a uh, sand gravel yard, whatever, into a into a farm. If you know what a harrow is, there'd be lines going all the way around the sandbox because I, okay, I took a detour there. But anyway, I'd look at Mr. Pinckney, and I'd say, man, what a godly man. How do you get up there? Who shall dwell in the Lord's tabernacle like he does? Who can live in God's holy hill like, like he does? I, I look at uh, you know, so, so many godly people, but Mrs. Mrs. Morrison was, was a godly old lady in our church. She had a bunch of sons, all adult sons, and a couple of them were preachers. One of her sons was the pastor of Second Kent Baptist Church when I was a kid over in Kent, New York. She was just a godly old lady. And you never saw Mrs. Morrison where she wasn't crying. I'm, I, and I mean, it was testimony. In my memory, she didn't come to church on Sunday morning. She went somewhere else. But Sunday night, she'd come to our church, and she'd stand up for testimony time. 
And she'd always be crying during testimony. I just want to praise the Lord. And, and several of you knew Mrs. Morrison, and they can tell you she couldn't talk without sounding like she was crying for joy that God was so good to her. When she was on her deathbed, of course, I went away to college and came back, and <coughs> she was in a, a, a nursing home. I don't strictly that's what it was, but she was in a, a rehabilitation center. I don't even know if that's the word, but you know what I'm saying, in a, a hospital, not quite a hospital, in Peekskill. And my wife and I went down to see Mrs. Morrison, so my wife got to meet Mrs. Morrison. And just what a, a godly lady, even on her deathbed, there was just a glow. There was just a glow, and he'd say, Lord, how do you live there? How does anybody live there? And that's what David is saying. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? Holiness is where God lives. It's a place where I can live. It's an opportunity. It's a, it's a privilege. Listen, Christian, I'm saying to you this morning, We all have a choice as to where our lives and how our lives are lived. Doesn't it intrigue anybody here that we have the choice, if we want to, to live in this holy place where God lives? Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're better than anybody else. It means you live every day. As David said, in God's holy hill, or as John said in 1 John, walking in the light as he is in the light with God. Holiness is a place apart from a worldly lifestyle. Notice, not only does holy mean set apart, but it's a hill. And when you're up on a hill, you're just in a, you're in a different place. You're not better than anybody else, but you're, you're, you're living above the foolishness down below. Holiness means living on a higher plane with God. Now wait, people that are not on that holy hill, they may look at you and say, oh, he thinks he's better than everybody. They may say that, but don't forget, they have not chosen to live there. They had the same opportunity and they chose to live for the money. They chose to live for what they thought was the stability. They thought the, they chose to live where uh, everybody accepts you and everybody approves of what you're doing and you're, this is the popular place. They chose to live down there, so it's not a surprise when even Christian people look up at the holy hill of the Lord where you're living and say, oh, she just thinks she's better than everybody. People are going to say what they're going to say. But why would you not want to live in the holy hill of the Lord if you have the chance? Most Christians do not. We're content to live down below. With just a little visit from God occasionally when we need him. Holiness means living on a higher plane with God. God says a number of times in the Bible, be ye holy for I am holy. That means God wants me to live where he lives. God wants me to go where he's going. I want to go where God's going. That's the choice that I made as a teenager. It wasn't the choice to say, I want to stand behind a pulpit and tell everybody what to do. 
That wasn't the choice I made. The choice I made was I want to go where God's going. And you know what? I don't care where that is. The older I get, the more that, that I learn, I don't care where that is. If God's living in a prison cell, that's where I want to be. I don't want to go to jail. But if that's where God is, I'll go with him wherever that is. If God's going to the place of persecution, if God's going to the place of sorrow, if God's going to the place of heartache, I want to go where God is. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? What an opportunity. What a thrill. What an honor to live up there with God. Holiness is a place for a select few. Hey, Christian, anybody can live the partying lifestyle. We're so stupid when we let the devil and the world and our own flesh convince us that, oh, man, world's having a big old party. You're missing out on it. You're not missing out on anything. Anybody can live the partying lifestyle. Teenager, don't let, don't let Satan whisper in your ear and say, man, you mean to tell me you're going to grow up and you're never going to find out what it feels like to get high not one time? Well, I'm 49 years old. I've never had that experience, and I'm a pretty happy dude. I've got friends that they had to find out they're not doing so good. I've got other friends, they had to find out what that felt like. They're not even living in it. They didn't even make it to 49. I'm doing pretty good. I got plenty of peers, saved and unsaved, who let me know clearly, man, I wish I, wish I was doing as well as you're doing. Hey, I'm, I'm not wealthy. I, I'm not, uh, you know, I have my infirmities physically. I have my struggles but I haven't missed a thing just because I don't know what it's like to smoke pot. I haven't missed anything just because I don't know what it's like to be drunk. I don't care to know. And I never have cared to know. I praise the Lord. I've never been at the place where somebody was there, you know, holding a joint in front of me and I'm going, should I, should I, should I? Never been there. Don't have not had any desire to be there. And if you have half a brain teenager, you won't have any desire either. You don't have to know what it's like, uh, young, young guys, to, to go after every girl and to touch every girl and to be with every girl and to kiss every girl. That's, hey, let, let, the, let the world play those games. You live in the plain, different place, set apart with God. Let the world live with the family cord and the, and the drunk driving, the, the, you know, the, the traffic record a mile long because you can't stay away from the, by, the, the bottle. And so you go out on the road and you get pulled over again. And so now you can't get uh, car insurance and you, you've got a, 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 a jail record and you've got a, a, a record on your license and you've got all these problems just because you had to see what it tastes like. Let the world, you know what uh, Solomon's mother in Proverbs 31, she said, let, let the person who's about to die, let them live like that. And some people have taken that and used that as, oh, see, here's the Bible saying it's okay to draw. Oh, my goodness, could you please read a context? 
She's saying, Solomon, you're a king, dude. You, you deserve better. Let the world who's, who's, who's dying and struggling and, and starving, and let them live like that. That's not for kings. That's for drunks. That's what she's saying. Holiness is a place for a select few. Anybody can live the party lifestyle. Anybody can live uh, the, the, the drug lifestyle and the drinking lifestyle. And anybody can, you know, go, go down and, and uh, let's, let's raise a glass. And let's, uh, anybody can do that, but not the person who wants to live in the holy hill of the Lord. By the way, you can't do both. I want you to notice, don't get nervous at the number 10 because I'm just going to read them. David goes on to give us ten characteristics of the person who lives close to God. He says, who lives up there? He that walketh uprightly. What is that? Now look, I'm going to give you some definitions literally with what what I've prepared. I'm not kidding. I could preach a full-length sermon on all ten things. Oh, no! Hey, don't forget, i got a wedding to get ready for, so I'm in a hurry too, all right? I'm just going to read them. I want you to trust when I give you the word that summarizes each phrase that I have grounds for why I arrived at that word. And I would, I would encourage you to meditate on it, study it out, and perhaps you'll come to the same conclusion. Ten characteristics of that person that's living up there with God. He that walketh uprightly. What is that? That's genuineness. And worketh righteousness. That's obedience. That's submission to authority. That's keeping the rules. God likes people who are rule keepers. You know the best place in the world to have an accident? A parking lot that is a quarter filled with cars. Because, and if this is you, you're an idiot too. Uh, The idiots that drive across the lines while the people that drive correctly are driving within the lines and you're going to crash. And by the way, it's going to be their fault. But I don't want to crash. I don't care whose fault it is. Live your life inside the lines. Not a lot of amens on that one, but I'm telling you, you're going to have a much happier life. Live your life inside the lines. Worketh righteousness. Thirdly, speaketh the truth in his heart. What is that? That's sincerity. No, you say that's honesty. No, it says in your heart. A lot of us, we, we manipulate our words, but there's a lot of corruption going on in here. We just try to translate it into honest-sounding talk by the time it hits the air. But the guy that lives close to God, see, God sees your heart. This guy, he's sincere because what he's saying is matching what is in his heart because there's truth in here, so there's truth out here. Sincerity. Fourthly, he that backbiteth not with his tongue. Who is that? That's the person who has peace. (coughs) I was preparing this, and the other night we're in the motel room after we'd spent the day with, with Joe and the dog, Theo, you know, he's at the stage where he's got chew on everything. He, he literally uh, bit Amy in, I mean, in like her shoulder blade. Like her, he, he bit her in the back. And I said, there, there it is, backbiters. He that backbiteth not with his tongue. That's a pretty lame illustration for that point, isn't it? But I just, anyway. But who does, who, back, by, backbiter just, that's a talker. Who does that? The person who doesn't have peace. Who doesn't do that? The person who has peace. 
So the guy that abides in the holy hill of the Lord is the person who has peace. Next, nor doeth evil to his neighbor. Now, you're going to think this is a weak word. This is a very strong word. It's a part of the fruit of the Spirit. Goodness. You're good to people. If you're good to people, you wouldn't think of doing evil to anyone else. Nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. That means there's something, there's talk going around. There's talk going around about Netta. And uh, so I'm going to take it up and I'm going to go with it. But this guy doesn't take it up. He, why? Because he has discretion. In other words, he, well, hey, and by the way, whether it's true or not, we have this crazy thing. Well, well I, I only repeated it because it was true. Discretion means you keep your mouth shut whether it's true or false. Discretion. In whose eyes a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them the fear of the Lord. So you can discern between the right crowd and the wrong crowd. If you call me, if you if you call me the wrong crowd, you're judging me. That's the big, that's the big accusation, everybody. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, I'm sorry, younger people, but it's a it's a millennial thing, you know, for some reason. You're judging me. I don't know. This guy that lives in a holy hill of the Lord, he condemns a vile person. He can recognize a vile person and say, that's wrong. So in his eyes, a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. That's discernment. Next, he sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. That's integrity. I will do this. I will be there. I will whatever it is. And even if it winds up hurting him to keep his word, he will do it. He has integrity. He that putteth not out his money to usury. What is that? That's contentment. (coughs) Usury means interest. That means that you see a chance to turn a buck. Can you help me out? Ooh profit off of this if you're content you're not looking to turn a buck off everybody i believe hey i I believe in capitalism i will defend capitalism but we also have to understand that as personal uh, as a personal matter we need to be content with what we have and and not try to use kindness as an opportunity to make a buck off of people nor taketh reward against the innocent what is that that's justice doesn't mean you give tr- special treatment to anybody, but if a person is innocent, but you have the opportunity, I know he's innocent, but ooh, here's a few bucks if you stick it to him. Or here's a special, fa- you do a special favor for me, I'll do it. You know what that is? That is what we hear about all the time in, the, in government, and it's everywhere in government, corruption. The guy that lives in the holy hill with the Lord, he does not permit corruption because he believes Injustice. Hey, you know what? We all want justice for ourselves. Do you want justice for your enemy? Do you have the the ability to look at a situation and say, you know what? I don't particularly care for this person, but what you're saying would not be fair to them, so I cannot participate. In fact, if you really want to live in that holy hill with the Lord, you won't be thinking about who you like and who you don't like. That's not even a factor in the equation. And by the way, if you're not thinking about who you like and who you don't like, it'll never come across in your actions. I don't think it's possible to live that way. It is. Now, there's only one person who's ever lived who fit all ten of those things to perfection, and that's Jesus Christ. I don't. You don't. So how is it that God says to me, Hey, 
I want you to live where I live. Yeah, but God, look at that list. I don't come close to matching up to that list. And that's where he says, okay, in Jesus Christ, he took your sin upon him. And I'll put his righteousness upon you. And if you walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ, my son, will cleanse you from all sin. And we'll have fellowship one with another. Fellowship. That's the same thing that he's offering up there on that holy hill. So look, we still need to strive for these things. We still need to strive to be genuine, but we're only going to succeed in the righteousness of Christ as we're saved and walking in the light. We still need to strive to be obedient, but we're only going to succeed as we're born again in the righteousness of Christ and walking in the light. And on down the list, we're only going to succeed at being sincere and having peace and being good and being discreet and having discernment and integrity and contentment and justice as we are born again, covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and walking in the light in fellowship with him. And then we can take up God's invitation, be ye holy as I am holy. I want you to notice one more thing and we're done. The last statement in the chapter. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. Let me talk to the the folks under 20 for a second. Right now, the word stable doesn't mean much to you. But by the time you're in your 30s and 40s, stability, and I don't just mean financially, I mean emotionally, I mean mentally, stability will be a huge possession. You will treasure it if you have it. You will covet it if you don't have it. You want to be stable? He that doeth these things shall never be moved. You want to be stable? Live in that holy hill where the Lord lives. Don't be content to say, man, everybody at work's doing this. Everybody at school's doing this. Everybody I know's doing this. But God's doing this. So live up there with him. It's a tough life to live because you really don't fit in in very many crowds. I sat, me and Amy sat uh, Thursday night. We left Friday morning, but Thursday night, Brother Jesse Dominguez, and, and he, he invited uh, me and Amy and Amanda and Joe when he got off work, and then uh, he invited Brother Danny Mendez and Karen and, Karen and Landon over, and we just sat at the, at the table for a little while, and before I left, I, I let everybody there know. I said, I, I feel so at peace right here. Why? Why did I, I said I feel a contentment here that I can't even describe. You know why? Because we all individually in our lives know what it's like. And by the way, you know what it's like too if you're trying to live in that holy hill of the Lord to live among people who just don't value God one bit. <clears throat> they don't. I was talking in, in Sunday school about how I had my my Bible here and my iPad over here, and I said, you know, the world values this because this right here, this can run you a thousand dollars. We val- uh, God's people are to value this. This right here, you know, I think this Bible, this is a nice Bible. This is fifty nine ninety five. 
or $1,000. What does the world value? They value this right here. We're supposed to value God's word. But if you value God's word, you're not going to fit in with this world. They're going to think you're weird. They're going to think you're crazy. They're going to think you're strange. So you've got to make a choice. What are you going to value? He that doeth things, these things shall never be moved. You want to be stable? You want to be secure? You want to be steady? Live in the holy hill with the Lord. Father, I pray that you'd help us to comprehend these things this morning. Help us to understand it. Help us to make the choice to live.